0: The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. We'll be reading Galatians 1, verses 1 through 9 this morning. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Amen.
1: Thank you, Kevin. I wasn't sure if you were going to be able to uh, walk up to the mic this morning. How many, how many bales of hay did you move yesterday? Uh, 600. 600 bales of hay. So, Yep. Anyhow, in case you may not know, um, that, the, that that reading uh, from Kevin just now uh, officially kicks us off into our, our new sermon series. And so um, here is the plan going forward in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be taking a deep dive into Paul's letter written to the churches of Galatia, and we are diving in right now, okay? Or at the very least, we're going to, we're going to get our feet wet this morning, for sure. And in case it might be ha- uh, helpful it, at the start, I thought I would just provide us with just a little bit of context. It's always helpful, like, you know, what, what's this letter all about? So here's, here's a bit for you. Um, From what we know about this letter, these Galatian churches were originally planted and established by none other than Paul himself. This would have taken place during his first missionary journey, and his audience here, these churches that he's writing to, primarily consist of uh, non-Jewish Christians, or what the Bible often refers to as uh, Gentile believers, Uh, Galatia. What about um, Galatia? Where, where is it? And it's essentially in present-day Turkey. That's where it would have been located. And in terms of the when, look, when would Paul have written this letter? Most scholars have dated this letter at roughly 50 AD, which means that this would have been written some, somewhere around you know like 15 or 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so quite early some would say. And uh, a bit more on this, it would seem that this was written um, by Paul not all that long after these churches would have been established. It's hard to know for sure, but I'm basing this just off of what um, Paul says in verse six here. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So quickly, he says. And so it almost sounds like these churches, you know, weren't in existence for too terribly long when Paul wrote this letter to them, which is an interesting consideration, I suppose. However, just setting aside this time sequence stuff for a moment, what do you make of that statement that I just read? There's more to be taken away from that than just a timeline, right? Uh, I'll I'll read it again. Verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is an interesting way to begin a letter. No? Right out of the gate, you know, Paul says, Greetings, everyone. Grace and peace to you. Glory to God. Amen. And then just a moment later, he says, I am astonished at you. What? Strange. Paul, here, we see right away, appears to have some sort of holy bee in his bonnet. If I can put it that way. We talked about not fretting in some of the recent messages that we heard in the Psalms. Uh, not getting heated, right? Like not getting spitting mad. Well, guess what? Paul is hes getting heated here. That's, that's what it seems to be happening. I think that'll become even more evident as we get into it. And apparently, he seems to think that this is quite justified for him to do so because from where he's standing, there is something that is happening among the churches in Galatia that is worth fretting about worth getting upset about. And so what is it? What is it that Paul feels so passionate about that he is suddenly laying into these people that he loves? He loves them. He cares for them deeply. And so what is it? And here's what I want to say at the start, that this spicy little statement from Paul in verse 6 here, I would argue that this lays the foundation for this whole entire letter. It frames everything, just this one little statement. It sets up everything that I think we're going to be considering for many weeks and months to come. And so again, why is Paul so flabbergasted here? And it's because the the Galatian believers are, quote, deserting the one who called them. Who called them to live in the grace of Christ. And they are now turning to a different gospel. And he very quickly says, which is no gospel at all. And everything that follows from here is Paul's attempt, I think, to just like splash some water into the faces of these churches as if to say, wake up, guys. Wake up, Galatians. Snap out of it. Come back. Come back. Come back to the heart and the foundation of your faith. Come back to the gospel of grace. What are you doing? All right? And so as we begin to get our feet wet here this morning and push off from the shore, we've got a long journey ahead of us until we get to the end of this letter. I just want to point out just one very simple thing, perhaps obvious, that I think we would be wise to note here. And it's this, that this letter is written to a group of churches. You see? Like ours. If you would consider yourself a follower of Christ this morning, please note the fact that this letter is written to Christians. It's written to Christians. And my point in saying that is to highlight that those who have been confused, they become confused about the gospel here, are people who once knew. This is by Paul's flabbergasted, who, who once knew to some degree they understood the gospel of grace, and yet somehow, somewhere along the way, they've lost sight of it. And so could we. And so could we. And so, you know, just in case we might be tempted to think that any part of this letter need not apply to us, like, okay, I see what's going on there, but like, I'm good. I believe wisdom would tell us to be very suspicious of that line of thinking in fact if that's how we are thinking it might indicate that we don't understand ourselves too well for starters and in addition to that it it might be an indicator that that maybe we're struggling to understand the gospel as well in which case we're in the right place we're in the right place this, we need this letter you know I, I just here's the thought i love because we're coming out of the psalms i love david's prayer at the close of psalm 39 i think it's an appropriate prayer for us heading into this what does he say he says search me O god and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting what's he saying I think that this is, this is David's way of acknowledging that he doesn't see himself perfectly. He, he seems to understand that somehow. He doesn't know his heart in the ways that he knows God knows his heart. And so he needs God's help. He needs God to lead him forward, to lead him in his way. And so he says, help me out. Come on come on in. Work here. And so, so where do we start? Where do we start? What does God, through Paul, want to teach us this morning from these nine verses that we've got in front of us. And I think that the most, you know, critical thing that Paul wants us to get acquainted with and to get reacquainted with here is, of course, the gospel. The gospel. What is it? How should we understand it? How might we talk about it? How might we apply it to our lives? So that's going to be our focus for this morning. I think that's going to be our focus for most mornings. I think that's always our focus, really. And I think that's good. Um... So like I just did there, I think for an outline, some questions would be appropriate. Let's ask some questions this morning. First question, what makes this greeting different? By the greeting, I mean these first five verses. makes up uh, the majority of our passage, actually. What makes this greeting different? I think it is. Second question for us, what makes the gospel different? What makes the gospel different? And then last question, how does the gospel make any difference? Okay. The gospel may be different, but does it make a difference? That's what we want to find out. So to begin with, what makes this greeting different? And I realize that that may sound like a strange question. I'm not sure. Um, But the reason that I ask it is because a greeting like this at the start of a New Testament letter, this is like completely par for the course. There's nothing unusual about this at all. You'll find this in essentially any New Testament epistle. And this is especially true of Paul. I mean, he, he... he um, is very elaborate in them, in fact. Uh, there are certain features, I would say, if you, if you look for them, you kind of got to inspe- you have to inspect this stuff, but there are certain features in Paul's greetings that you find at the start of all of his letters that are almost always present. Certain things repeat themselves again and again, almost like a formality, except that they're not. They're not j- merely a formality. By that I mean that everything that you find in all of Scripture, really, but anything that you find, since we're here, in, in these greetings these, of these New Testament letters, it's always super meaningful. It's not just there just because. There's things to be found in there. But what makes this greeting, this one, different, a bit different, okay? Um, let's, let's look at this. Notice that there are certain features here that you almost always find In Paul's letter, common things. For instance, Paul almost always introduces himself as an apostle. I could give you multiple examples of this. I'm just going to give you one for the sake of time. Um, I'll read just the first line from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He opens up his letter by writing, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And you can find things very similar to that in several other letters, like I just said. This is a key feature in his greetings. Now, why does he do this? If if it's super meaningful, like I said it is, like, why? What's so meaningful about it? And this greeting is unique in the sense that he spells it out for us. Like, why is that even more unique? He he says, Paul, an apostle, and now here comes a definition of of what that might mean to Paul. He says, sent. 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 I was sent. I didn't just show up, guys, because I thought it was a good idea. I was sent. By whom? Not from men, he says, nor by man, not by any human agency, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so it's as if he's saying, just in case you might think that this is just a mere formality, me mentioning that I'm an apostle, it isn't. It's not. It never is. However, let me spell it out for you. I'm an apostle, and therefore what that means, in case you may have forgotten, is that what you heard from me before, the gospel that you received, that I first shared with you, it's from God. It's not from me. That was the situation. I just want to be clear on that. And therefore, what we're hearing from Paul right now, if we're thinking is nothing more than the same. That's what he's saying. This isn't for me. What I'm saying to you even right now, this isn't for me. It never has been. This doesn't originate in me. This isn't my personal opinion. Galatians, I didn't dream this up. This isn't isn't one more version of the gospel among many versions of the gospel. This isn't Paul's take on the whole thing, as though there are many takes to be made. I need you to know that this is the only version. This is the real thing. And here's why. Because it's from God. It's not from me. It's from him. I'm just a messenger. I'm an apostle. I'm just a man who has been commissioned, who has been sent to you by Jesus Christ and the Father who raised him from the dead. Another one. In other words, I've been sent by the one who is most powerful, the divine one, has sent me and he sent me to you to do this very thing. This is the main reason he brought me to you in the first place, to bring you this good message to bring you this good news. Let's ask some more questions. What, what makes it so good, Paul? That's what the gospel means, by the way, right? It means good news. So what makes it so good? And notice one more common phrase that Paul uses here. You can find this in almost every one of his opening letters in all of the New Testament. After introducing himself, he almost always follows up by saying, grace and peace to you. See this in verse three, right? Grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So same thing again, right? I'm just a messenger, guys. I'm the mailman delivering messages to you, from God to you, and my message to you is the same message that you've always gotten from me. It's one of grace and peace, from God to you. Grace and peace to you, all right? Martin Luther, who is deeply impacted by this letter, And by the way, in case you might not know, Martin Luther, he was a key figure in the European Protestant Reformation. And what that was all about was just, it was a massive revival. And it was a massive revival that began with people rediscovering this gospel of grace and peace. And listen to how Luther puts this as he he comments on these two words. He says, these two terms, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. In other words, it's all, it's all right there, just in those two words. You can explain all of Christianity. You can explain the gospel through just those two little words. Let's try. What, is, what does grace mean? It means unearned, undeserved favor. The gospel is nothing more and nothing less than the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has provided for us is grace, unearned undeserved favor that produces peace. Why? How? It reconciles us to God. Where our sin was once this insurmountable thing, this insurmountable offense to God, a mountain that we could never possibly climb, Jesus climbed the mountain for us. And he offers us this grace that he purchased for us with his most precious blood. And those who receive it can experience God's peace. I'm in. What kind of peace? Real peace, the real thing, not imagined peace, but the real laying down of arms. I mean, maybe that's a helpful way to put it. The real laying down of arms. This is something that you might not necessarily feel, that you might not necessarily understand on a moment by moment basis, but it, that it always remains true. That there's not this like back and forth of laying down arms and taking them back up, and laying down arms and taking them back up. No. It's not, that's not the gospel that Paul brought to them. This is something different. This is a lasting and thorough peace, a peace that is beyond our understanding. This is why what Paul is saying here is so very important. I mean, think about this, right? Right? We live in a day, in an an age, in which on the one hand, you might say that, you know, well, we highly value personal uh, opinions. (laughs) We highly value feelings. And yet we don't. Aren't those two things true? Like in the day and age that we live? We say, personal opinions and feelings can't be denied. Don't deny anyone these things. And then we say, yeah, that may be your opinion and your feeling, but it's not mine. It's my opinion and my feeling that matters most of all. Oh, and by the way, my opinion and my feeling on this matter or that matter, it may be here today and it may be gone tomorrow. It just depends on how I'm feeling tomorrow or the next day. The buck stops with me, right? But the bucket, just so you know, it's a moving object. I'm not sure. It changes like the weather, so... This is this is this is the reality that we live in. But Paul is saying this thing. This is more than an opinion. This is more than a feeling. This isn't mine. This isn't a me thing. It's a divine thing. If you trace this thing all the way back, it finds its origin in him. Do you see? And what he says is that his grace se- secures peace between us and him now in forever. This is an unchanging reality. You may change, your opinions may change, your feelings may change, but this doesn't. This thing is solid. Solid rock. And notice how this aspect of the greeting is different. Just in case we might think that this is some kind of meaningless formality, um, Paul adds in verse 4 for us. Just in case we we might think that. Now I'm going to back up. I'm going to read verse 3 with it. So verse 3, grace and peace... To you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, now verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, from this fallen, broken, vulnerable world that we live in. In other words, this isn't just from him. Paul's saying, it's not from me, it's from him. This isn't just from God. It's also by him. He hasn't merely said it. He's actually done it. And therefore, it's done. He gave himself. There's nothing more to be done. It's complete. It's finished. This was the message that Paul had delivered to them at the start and that they gladly received. And so this is why Paul is kind of freaking out here. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why would you turn back from this? Why would you turn to something different than this? And so you can see how this greeting is different from others. It is different. How it's well-suited for this particular set of circumstances. Paul is, I would say, heavily like front-loading this letter by by, uh, introducing, highlighting his God-given authority and by highlighting and defining for us the pure and explicit gospel that he's been called to preach. So let's ask the next question. Let's consider, we, we have considered the question, what makes this greeting different? What makes this gospel different? What makes the gospel different? Paul is so riled up here. He's so upset by the way that the Galatians have pivoted from the gospel. And so what happened? What, like, what, are we ta- what, di- what different gospel that he's talking about? Like, what is he talking about here? that he says is no real gospel at all. And what we learn is we read on and we will get into, we're going to drill down on this stuff in the months to come. But what apparently went down is that there were some folks who came into the church. Um, again, I said that this, this these churches primarily consisted of of non-Jewish Christians. And apparently there were some Jewish Christians, some professing Jewish Christians who came into the church, those who were not apostles, those who were not commissioned and sent by God. And Paul alludes to this in verse 7 when he says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And here's what we know. Like I mentioned earlier, right? Um, Paul, he's a Jewish individual. Jesus, he was... A Jewish individual, but the, these folks were not of Jew, Jewish origin heritage, probably like most of us in this room. And so apparently certain professing Christians of Jewish heritage came into the church, began to tell these Galatian Gentile Christians, possibly new Christians, that if they wanted the real thing, that, you know, they're they're missing something. If they wanted the real thing, they wanted to truly be followers of this Jewish Messiah, that they would need to follow certain aspects of the Jewish law, specifically that they would need to be circumcised. This is like a covenant mark of the Jewish people. You've got to get circumcised. If you don't, you're just just a poser. You're just a counterfeit Christian. If you don't follow these traditions, you'll be lacking. You'll be incomplete, okay? And so apparently, some of them were buying into this idea, you know, might be hard not to. And so they were. some of these people apparently were being circumcised and Paul learns of this and he says, have you lost your ever-loving mind? What are you doing? Question. Does this seem strange to you? Paul's response here? Does this seem like an overreaction on the part of Paul? Like, cool down, Paul. You know? It's just a small procedure. It's an unpleasant one, you know? But... We're just trying to keep the peace with these folks, Paul don't want to make waves. They were of Jewish origin, you know they've they, they got more background on this kind of stuff than we do. Paul. They sounded convincing and authoritative, and it seemed like the right thing to do. but like what's the big deal? What's the difference Paul? What's the difference and in Paul's mind, these two things couldn't possibly be more different, so what's the difference? Here's the cliff notes on this, okay? All Gospels, other than the Gospel that Paul is talking about, have one important thing in common. And I'm going to expand on this a little bit. I'll say all spiritual and religious ideologies, apart from this one, all efforts towards righteousness, all efforts to try to acquire the peace of God, apart from this message, is a message that begins with us and moves towards God. I think we need to think about this like directionally. Like what's happening here? All of the Gospels, other than the Gospel that Paul's talking about here, are messages that tell us what we must do to get right and to secure peace between us and God. If you do this and if you do that, all will be well. But if you don't, you are lacking. You'll be hanging in the balance. You'll be incomplete. So let me just ask this question. I mean, I started at the beginning like, let's not just assume that that this doesn't apply to us. What are you trusting in this morning? Are you trusting in Christ or are you trusting in the quality of your response to Christ? Is his grace enough or no? Listen, to maybe you know Martin Lloyd-Jones, old Welsh doctor. And pastor, listen to him as he shares some of his experience as a pastor. He says this, To make it quite practical, I have a very simple test. After I have explained the way of Christ to somebody, I say, Now, are you ready to say that you are a Christian? And they hesitate. And then I say, What's the matter? Why are you hesitating? And so often people say, I don't feel like I'm good enough yet. I don't think I'm ready to say I'm a Christian now. And at once I know... That I've been wasting my breath. They are still thinking in terms of themselves. They have to do it. It sounds very modest to say, well, I don't think I'm good enough, but it's a very denial of the faith. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say that he is good enough and I am in him. As long as you go on thinking about yourself like that and saying, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm not good enough. You are denying God, he says. You are denying the gospel. You are denying the very essence of the faith and you will never be happy, he tells us. You'll never have peace. And then he applies a bit of diagnostic work. He was a doctor. You think you're better at times and then again, you will find you were not as good as at other times than you thought you were, you will be up and down forever. You'll be up and down forever. You'll never have peace that way, is what he's saying, because it's all about you. It's all about your work. It's all about your efforts, your spiritual achievements, not his. These are the kinds of, this is the kind of thing that we need to sit with. What he's describing here, that's a gospel that moves from us to him, directionally. That's a gospel that is done by us, in part at least, not by him. And therefore, it's not good news. It's not good news. It's fake news. You guys know about fake news. Because it doesn't work. It doesn't save. It will not rescue you from sin and death. It's spiritual spin. It sounds reasonable, maybe, like it did to these Galatians. But it's not. It's a bunk gospel. That's what Paul is trying to drive home here. The only good news to be found in all of the universe is a message that comes from God to us, directionally. And it is accomplished according to a work that has been done by God, not us. The gospel plus anything equals nothing at all. This is the big message of Galatian. If that's what you're doing, what you have, it's bunk. It's bogus, he says. As one writer put it, the radical gospel of justification by faith alone does not allow for a middle-of-the-road position. Either one must proclaim it as unconditionally as possible or just forget it. Leave it alone. It's a lot like, um, this is maybe a terrible metaphor, but I'm gonna try it out. This is a lot like what they did back in the 80s and 90s with carpets. Remember this? They took these perfectly good, wonderful hardwood floors and they covered them with carpets, okay? As though they were improving on what was there somehow, but it didn't work. I mean, not even the really cool shaggy ones. I mean, it did not improve upon what was there. You couldn't improve upon those hardwood floors. That's my opinion on the matter, by the way. These are my feelings, Okay, they may change. I may have a different opinion next week. I don't know. Um, by the way, I do like a decent area rug, but that kind of like messes with my metaphor, so just forget I said that. <laughs> what are we trusting in? What are we trusting in, everybody? What might we be trying to mix in with the gospel that inadvertently denies? the gospel denies the very essence of our faith i could rattle off just a whole list of considerations i'm not gonna do that this morning because we're going to be we're going to be delving into those kinds of considerations throughout our time in this epistle but just like i said just let that question linger with you like what what might i be mixing in with the gospel what might i be adding that might be nullifying the gospel that God has provided for me. Again, search, search me, O oh God. Right, try me. You see better than I do. Lead me in the way of your gospel. Last question: What's the difference? What difference does it make? What difference does the gospel make? Maybe it's different, but does it make it, Does it change anything? There's more to that quote that I I, uh, I mentioned from Luther. Um, Here's a fuller version of it where he gets much more explicit and practical about the grace and the peace of the gospel. He says this, I find this very helpful. Grace remits sin and peace quiets the conscience. Sin and conscience torment us, he goes on to say, but Christ has overcome these fiends. I love that. But Christ has overcome these fiends that torment me, now and forever. And then now he says these two terms, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. Grace, he says, involves the remission of sins, peace, and a happy conscience. Lightness. This is what the gospel does. In other words, by grace, through faith in Christ, we can be truly washed, truly forgiven of all of our sins once and for all. And once that begins, by degrees, to sink in, that reality begins to take hold as the Spirit of God begins to massage it into our minds and our hearts, all all of that noise, all of that torment that Luther's talking about, it begins to quiet down. It can. Not perfectly. But that internal condemnation, you know what I'm talking about. All the games of insecurity and self-justification, all the blame shifting that goes on in our relationships, the weight of guilt, of shame associated with sin, all of that begins to become more and more quiet, dampened by the reality of the gospel. And we can begin to experience the peace of God. But guess what? The grace of God is sufficient. The peace of God is secure. We said that. It can't be thwarted. It's not like our opinions and feelings. And someday we will know that. We will experience that in full. But for now, we're still vulnerable. We're just like these Galatians. Our conscience can still experience that same sort of torment as we yield to other Gospels other than this one. And the only way to combat that, there's only one way to do this is with the real thing. And so here's a good takeaway from this passage: We can never tire of hearing the good news, the grace and peace of the gospel. We can never tire of hearing it preached and taught. We can never tire of teaching it and preaching it to ourselves, to one another. Now, with that said i'm going to I'm going to close this out at this point. And I want to close this out with something um, that I think expresses, articulates, what what a difference the gospel can make if we'll sit under it, okay? I'm going to share a poem with you. I hope you're okay with that. I've been trying to space these things out throughout the years because I know that not everybody is a huge fan of these things, but I think that this one is super special. I can't keep it to myself. This comes from the English poet and minister George Herbet, Herbert. Herbert. Um, it's a poem called Love 3, and the 3 is in parentheses. I think it's implying the the love of the Godhead, the Trinitarian love of God. And in this poem, it's a little difficult. You can find it on page 2 of your bulletin if you want to follow along with this. Um, In this poem, there's this dialogue that's taking place between God, who's being referred to as love here, and a follower of Christ. And the words of God are in bold for you, and the words of this individual are not. So let me read this, and I'll stop at points just to kind of explain this a little bit if I could. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, obser- observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioned, questioning if I lacked anything. Here's the response of the Christian, as if to ask a question. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here? Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand, and smiling did reply, who made thee eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. Let let it be punished. Let it be cast into hell, he's saying. And know you not, says love. Who bore the blame? My dear, he responds. Then I will serve. I'll, I'll serve you, Lord. What does he say? No, no, no. You must sit down. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Strange ending. What's he saying? You have a place at this table. I have bought you, I have purchased with my own blood, a seat for you at this table. Sit and just eat. Take it in. Eat and drink it up. Let it wash over you, the reality of my grace to you. Let it, let it have its way with you. So I did sit and eat. This is the way. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that though we are wayward, though we are so quick to turn from your way and to pursue another, you you won't have it. You will pursue us like you did in the Garden of Eden. You will sweetly question us and you will provide for us what we need. You will take us by the hand and you will remind us by your spirit of our covering, the one who took the blame for us. God, we thank you that you have made a way where there was no other way, that you have shown us such generosity, such hospitality, that you have seated us at your very table, in your very presence, and that you invite us to eat and drink and sup with you. God, would you continue to invite us back to the table when we wander? We pray with thanksgiving towards the one who made it possible. Amen.